This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Got a big show for you this week. We're going to be talking about the Panthers clinching a bowl berth last Saturday against Arkansas State and their attempts to stop Troy from doing the same when the five and six Trojans come to Center Park Stadium this Saturday for the regular season finale. We'll also talk hoops as the men's team ultimately left High Point, North Carolina as the champions of the Legends Classic and answer some listener questions. But to start, let's go back to this Arkansas State game, a 28 to 20 win to improve to six and five in 2021 and mark three three straight bowl appearances and four in coach Elliott's five seasons in Atlanta. Georgia state never could quite put the game to bed after jumping out to two score leads in each half. Their three turnovers on offense were the most since their home loss to Appalachian state, but the two interceptions brought in by break Brown and Antavius lane in the second half preserved the Panthers lead and a highlight real touchdown run by Darren Granger gave them a 28 13 lead early in the fourth quarter. Disaster struck, however, in the form of a Kevon Bennett 80-yard scoop and score with 4 minutes 22 seconds remaining that cut the deficit back to 8, but Georgia State was able to kill the clock all the way down to triple zeros to secure the win and clinch the team's third straight bowl appearance. So, gentlemen, how about those Red Wolves in that game with Arkansas State? Just just thoroughly weird game. We, We talked about it on Saturday a little bit, but just lots of stuff creeped into the game that hasn't been a factor for Georgia State with just weird turnovers that, you know, we've talked about ad nauseum about how this team is taking care of the ball. And that's been a lot of why they've had success getting back to 500, beating Coastal ranked team for the first time in program history. And now, you know, they got this win, but it wasn't on the back of some of that same stuff. And, you know, they, they had the fumble that Roger Carter had there that was the scoop and score. Darren Granger had a fumble in the first quarter, which was literally just like he dropped the ball on the snap and could never get it back. And Arkansas State jumped on it. And that led to Arkansas State's first points. And those were the first points of the game. And then just the strangest pick, which I'm sure we'll dissect again, uh, where Sam Pickney had the ball in the air, came down on the defender. And then when he was on the ground fully, uh, the defender had it and was ruled an interception. And we weren't allowed to look at it ever again and speak of it ever again. But, you know, if you take out those plays, and especially if you somehow, if that is a catch for Sam Pickney, which I don't know that that's the case. I think the best case for Georgia State is that would have been an incomplete pass, but you still keep possession in that case. I mean, Georgia State, without with the plays as they happened, outgained Arkansas State 434 to 270. And, you know, 83 of that for Arkansas State was on one play. Without the turnovers, it really was probably shaping up to be a route. And it might have been no matter what, if just that last one doesn't happen, because if Roger Carter doesn't fumble their return for a touchdown, Georgia State's at least up three scores and who knows what happens in the final stretch, but you're comfortably winning the game. So I just think Georgia State can look at it and say they played a really good game, especially the defense. Defense played out of their mind. And just the little things that haven't costing them came up to hurt them a little bit, but it ultimately didn't cost them on the, in the win column and didn't keep them from getting back to that third straight bowl game. Yeah, you know, I like how you mentioned that it was a weird game because I, you know, Georgia State has been in some weird games over the years, but it always seems like they kind of find a way to lose them or, you know, just a better team 
uh, is not them and the other team finds a way to win. So it was nice that they still played well enough to win that game. Um, and, you know, the the turnovers are kind of funny as well, because I can't necessarily say that the turnovers were anybody, any one person's faults on Georgia State. Uh, you know, obviously a better ball thrown to, you know, Pinkney results in a better catch and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, Roger shouldn't have fumbled and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, though, it was kind of just two fluke plays, you know? Yeah, I mean, shoot, even Granger's fumble was kind of just a, he just kind of misread the snap a little bit and, you know, boom goes the dynamite. So, I, I I like the way that Georgia State is playing right now, though. I think that was one of, if not the best defensive game that they've played all year. Um, I know Charlotte, they gave up less points. But, you know, I think throughout all levels of the defense, the defensive line, linebackers and this uh, secondary, they just kind of they kind of just had a dominant game. Like, you know, you see the 20 points, but I feel like that 20 points does not tell the story of well, what 13. Yeah, the exactly. offense gave up seven of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the 13 points given up, like it, it really is not indicative of how well the defense played. You know, you had that crazy screen and, you know, hats off to Arkansas State. Good play call. They executed guy, you know, missed a couple of tackles and boom, he, he just found the end zone. But other than that, I mean, the defense didn't give up anything. So, you know, Georgia State is really trending in the right direction in football right now. Yeah, let me run through the numbers of the game that was for the defense. The minus three rushing yards they were credited with is a new school record. The previous was minus two allowed to Western Kentucky in the 2017 Cure Bowl win over Western Kentucky. The six sacks they had on the day, I mean, can't say enough about that. The 15 tackles for loss they had was also a school record. And now they have the new season record in tackles for loss with 76 and so that number is likely to go up and set a record far above what the previous one was of 75 and that was from last year and the 2015 season that was at 75 and john trey hunter had four tackles for loss and that ties the tackle for loss record for a single game for a player and so records all across the board thomas score had two sacks and two and a half tackles for loss and he had a fever the day before so enormous effort there and and Tavius Lane joined Quavy and White a week later with seven career interceptions to be atop the career leaderboard with Shandon Sullivan, current Packers star, nickel corner. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess when you have that many records broken in one game, your side of the ball did a pretty good thing. I mean, you know, that's one way to look at it, because, yeah, they did a pretty good thing. And I mean, you know, we we talked all we've talked all year about how like the D line needs to be better at being disruptive. You know, we kept saying, you know, uh, guys are going to need to step up and they're going to need to start converting either sacks or getting more hurries and forcing quarterbacks to, you know, not be as comfortable because that'll help the secondary out. And, you know, if we can, like, step into the vault for a second, because Brady's guy talked. Thomas Gore was all over uh, Lane Hatcher just the entire game. You know, he only came away with two sacks, but I mean, he was he had two sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. He, I mean, he was a monster. Yeah, I mean, I've been was quietly impressed with him. He just kept making plays here or there, but he's been less and less quiet about it recently because he got the, the game winning stuff on the two point conversion last two weeks ago against Coastal and now two sacks in this game. And he was saying post game that 
you know, someone asked him about just the nose guards all getting sacks because Dante got a sack, Akeem Smith got a sack, and he got the two. And he was like, I only played nose guard in one series of the game. I was over one of the defensive end positions. And I think it was a case of just like the coaching staff was looking at each other and like, we got to get this guy on the field more. Like he has been absolutely forcing their hand and making them play more on the field. And, you know, we've talked about him a few times, but just continuing to update on the season stats, he's still the fifth leading tackler of the team. He's got 42 tackles at nine and a half tackles for loss, which now leads the team. And he definitely doesn't have that number of staff snaps versus the ones around him. Like, you know, the top two tacklers are Jordan Benzio and Blake Carroll and Antavius Lane's in third and Chris Moore in fourth. And those are all guys that play most every down. And Thomas score is not that. So can't say enough about a guy forcing his way into the rotation and making plays and, you know, the defense as a whole, this is now 26 tackles for loss in the last two games. I mean, you can't say enough about that and just the work that they have done to put an impact on the game. You know, the, the defense being better allows the offense to kind of be as kind of start slow and finish strong as it has the last couple of weeks. You know, I think in the predictions, you know, we were asked whether or not we thought that Darren Granger was going to have the same type of game he did last week against Coastal. And, I, you know, I was I felt pretty confident to say that, no, the numbers are not going to look nearly as good for Granger going in, uh, coming off of the Arkansas State game. But that's not going to matter if Georgia State is still capable of running the ball like they did. And, you know, that's kind of exactly what happened. I don't you know, I don't think Granger played bad like I you know I don't want to say sit here and say that he played bad but I think the way that Georgia State has kind of started slow um, you know if you check out our Patreon piece that Brady put together the Thursday after um, you know he mentioned how Georgia State has struggled to score in the first quarter you know they um, for whatever reason just don't get the gears going that Panther Express is not as potent in the first quarter and you know when you have a defense that's capable of playing how Georgia State's defense has played the last couple of weeks you know you can allow teams to you can allow your offense to kind of get into the game you know at the end of the first quarter Arkansas State had 30 yards and three points and that was with the turnover uh, that they received you know at the end of the day that's exactly what you want you know yeah and I, you know, the the thing for me at the offense is I, they ended up being 28 points and they would have had more, but for at least one of those turnovers, it would have been in the 30s. But it felt on balance about fair for the game just because they got some yards, but it felt like they got into gear exactly two times. And it was the two times that they took two score leads in the game. When they went up 14-3, they got those two touchdown drives back to back, wham, bam. And they did it again the third and fourth quarter and took the 24 13 lead. And they obviously when it really got down to the nitty gritty and they needed to close out the game there when they were up eight, they got the runs they needed to, to get first downs, kill the clock off, eventually get in the victory formation and clinch that bowl. But you know, the first quarter wasn't there. And part of it was because they were taking some shots downfield because of the looks they were being presented with. And that's another thing that I talked about in that piece that David so handily teased, but the TLDR on that is that Arkansas State was loading up in the box. I think that they knew what Georgia State was going to do running the ball if they were just going to let them, if they were going to line up in normal base formation, let Georgia State do what they do. It was going to be a long day for them. 
And, you know, the Georgia State's throwing it up with 282 rushing yards, even with the fact that they're facing some pretty heavy box counts most of the game. But early on, you had re- wide receivers getting played in man coverage, really tight man coverage on the outside with no help over the top. And so you could either run where you don't have the numbers in the middle and get stuffed, or you can take a shot and maybe get a 50-yard play, get a touchdown. And there were a couple of those opportunities that Georgia State couldn't hit on, but it wasn't for the fact that the guy wasn't open. You know, whether it was guy didn't continue the catch through contact with the ground, or if the throw was a little bit better, maybe it's a catch. But I think that that hurt Georgia State's offense in the first quarter, and it's been different than other games where just like what they do normally that works normally and works later in the game isn't firing. I think they were kind of forced into doing something different and it wasn't working. But, you know, I think it was just a little bit of execution problems, but not not in the way that we've seen where sometimes just the base things that Georgia State is known to do well aren't working. So maybe not as discouraging as some of the other slow starts and just kind of a different vibe. All right, so let's move on to this weekend's contest, the last regular season game for the Panthers this year. Trojans of Troy coming to Center Park Stadium. The Trojans are 5-6 and six on the year, so a win would give them their first bowl berth since 2018. A loss for the Trojans would consign them to at least a four-year wait for more postseason football. And they're going for the all-important six win with a new man in charge, as head coach Chip Lindsey was fired recently after 34 games as head coach at Troy. The team was 15-19 and 19 during his tenure. Defensive coordinator Brandon Hall will be the interim head coach when the Trojans take the field on Saturday. This will be his first game at any level as a head coach. Georgia State trails the all-time series with Troy 5-3, although they come into this one winners of the last two head-to-head against the Trojans. Missouri transfer Taylor Powell had supplanted 2020 starter Gunnar Watson and started the first five games at quarterback before Watson replaced him once more ahead of their win over Georgia Southern on October 9th. Watson has held on to the job since then and has 1,326 passing yards, eight touchdowns, and two interceptions through his 2021 season. The Trojans have had the third best rush defense in the Sun Belt, allowing just 133 yards per game and 3.29 yards per carry. They also have the most sacks in the conference with 36. On defense, the standouts are freshman defensive end Javon Solomon, who has 11 of those 36 sacks, and senior linebacker Carlton Marshall, a former walk-on who has a conference-leading 121 tackles so far this season and over 400 tackles in his career. So, gentlemen, let's start off discussion of this all-important last game this year against the Trojans with a question from Carlos, who wants to know, are we catching Troy at the right time, or will they give us their all? Yeah, I mean, it's always an interesting question with interims. I do, I, my only thing with this is it feels like really weird timing, and I can't imagine in that moment the guy who you got recruited by to bring here gets fired the game before you've got a chance at a bowl game which is at least one of the goals that you have there's it feels a lot weirder than maybe a mid-season and definitely it's not you know after the season if they lose this game or if they go to a bowl game and lose whatever yeah it makes sense you know got to make a move but i do think that it's a little bit of just right before the last game is really odd timing and it feels like you're not setting up to where the guy coming in is going to have a ton of time to do much of anything. Like Brandon Hall can't change a ton about what they do, even if he had any ideas of what to do, just because they only have a few days of practice and then they're traveling to Atlanta. And so 
it feels like it could consign to be one of those weird games where things aren't firing for them or they just come out kind of in their field, you know, sad about their coach being moved on, which is totally understandable. And, you know, the other side of it is that they come out with their hair on fire for the interim uh, and give Georgia State a game. And so I guess I, I think that it is more likely it could be a situation where you're catching up at the right time than with a midseason one just because of the weird timing of it. I mean, I think Troy would hope that they're catching Georgia State at the right time. Um, I guess I kind of disagree with Brady um, in the assessment that they are catching them at the right time, uh, only because, you know, you look at their last four weeks, they're three and one. Um, You know, they had to play Coastal on the road, uh, South Alabama, Louisiana, and App State all at home, uh, which, you know, they got... Three losses out of that and one win. But, you know, for a team that has prided itself on defense this year, I feel like these defensive numbers, these four weeks are not great. Um, You know, they gave up 35 to Coastal, 35 to Louisiana and 45 to App State and, you know, 24 to South Alabama, Um, you know, so. I think that the identity of this Troy team has kind of escaped them a little bit the last couple of weeks. That's not to say that Georgia State is just going to magically turn out a 40, you know, point game against them. No, I think it'll still be a very good, uh, a very good and, you know, kind of a, a struggle for Georgia State to put points on the board. Um, but I think there's nothing in Troy's recent performance that leads me to believe that they are currently playing their best football. So, you know, going into this last game, they definitely want to right the ship and, you know, hope that they can force Georgia State into making those mistakes that they kind of just aren't really making right now. Yeah, I mean, some more numbers on what you were just talking about. During that four-game stretch, they lead the conference in sacks still. They got those 36 sacks to lead the Sun Belt, but only five of those have been in that four-game stretch. And it's been when they've been playing some of the better offensive lines and you know, offenses more generally and Georgia state's struggles on offense have been well documented on this pod. And we've talked about it a lot, but the offensive line is a good offensive line and they've been holding up in pass pro the last few weeks for the most part anyway, also. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is that in those four games, teams are averaging about 200 rushing yards in them. And that's, that's about what little under 70 yards better for the opposing teams than what their season average has been. So some of those numbers are skewed by the earlier games where they're playing less potent rushing offenses. And we tend to think Georgia state's got a pretty good rushing offense, uh, top 15 in the country right now per game. And so I, I do agree that the recent games for Georgia uh, for Troy do dictate that maybe there's a chance for Georgia state to have more success than maybe the raw numbers on the whole season go. But you know, there, there's another part to this equation, and that's how Georgia State responds to where they're at, because they're at six wins, they're bowl eligible. There's basically like the Doctor Strange one situation where they wouldn't go bowling, and it would require a lot of teams pulling upsets. And, you know, there's a lot of bowls and dots that still need to be filled. And so it would take a weird world for Georgia State to lose this game and then also not go bowling as a six win team. So. They might feel pretty set in that. And Troy's coming in. They haven't gone bowling since 2018. And they might play hard under the interim coach. And they might want to reset that and not start the offseason already. 
So Georgia State's got to be ready to play against a team that's going to be determined, and they've got to decide, you know, they can still set the record for uh, regular season wins with seven, and they can set the conference best conference record for some belt play for Georgia State at six and two, and those are still in front of them. And they could get back to four and two at home, which isn't where you want to be. You want to win all six games at home, but it's a good start from where you started. Uh, you know, you would have won the last four games at home and on a high and on a three-game win streak. And so there's a lot that you can point to to be like, this is a reason for Georgia State to go out there and play because they've got this stuff to play for, even though the bowl is settled. But it's 18 to 22-year-olds, and so that's always going to be something that just has to happen rather than just saying, yeah, this is here, it's going to happen. You've just going to kind of have to see how the, the guys go out of the tunnel on Saturday. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's kind of the reality of it, and I I think Georgia State will be decently motivated. You know, I, I don't want to sit there and say that those eighteen or twenty year olds don't know what's at stake for them. You know, I I know that they know. At least Coach has mentioned it a couple of times in his you know availabilities. You know, if they beat Troy, that you know they set the record for their best conference regular season in you know school history. You know, you you go from being one in four with a little bit of questions coming into, you know, kind of the meat and potatoes of your conference schedule to, I mean, you, you, an eight win season is still very obtainable for this team, you know? And I, I believe that would be a school record if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, a, a school record of wins is not something to scoff at, you know? And also there's the fact that the only two teams in conference play that beat you are the teams that are going to be playing each other next week, you know, if they beat Troy and, you know, so yeah, we're dealing with young kids, but I mean, this isn't going to be the same type of Georgia state team that came out against Idaho those years ago, you know? Um, and, you know, by all, by all intents and purposes, we have seen that over and over again, you know, like coach Elliot gets these guys up when they need to be up and, you know, just kind of looking at where Troy has been lately, you know, they've given up three 200 yard rushing games in the last four before that, they hadn't given up a single 200-yard rushing game and, and, in fact, had multiple under 100-yard rushing games. So, you know, I feel like Georgia State being as good of a rushing team as they are, you know, there's going to be some avenues for them to run and move the ball. And whether it takes 55 attempts like App State last week or it's, you know, a crisp 40 like Coastal a few weeks ago, I think there's, Georgia State will still be able to move the ball at least on the ground. And flipping it around, I don't know that they're exactly the same type of offenses, but it feels like it could set up to be kind of a similar way that Arkansas State went after Georgia State this past game because Troy is ninth in the conference in rushing yards per game and only getting 3.5 yards per carry as an offense on the ground. And they're tied for seventh with allowing 27 sacks. And so, you know, all of that makes me think it's a situation where you could see the defense have another game like they did, where they're getting on passing downs into the backfield, getting pressure on the quarterback, maybe making some mistakes. And it might be another situation where we can see Georgia State kind of control the trenches, get stops that way. And, you know, those will kind of feed into each other because if they're trying to establish a run but getting backed up like Arkansas State was, I mean, you can't necessarily expect or bank on a negative rushing yards but you know even if you look at the sack adjusted rushing yards for arkansas state 
it was still 37 on 20 carries when you took out the sack yardages. And that's just, that's still an absurd number. And, you know, might be replicable. I think that Kamani Vidal is a weapon at running back. I think he's, if he can hit holes, he's a guy who can make the big plays happen. They've got a couple of other, his backups as well, or also, I think they have more talent at the running back position maybe than what Arkansas State had. And so that's a difference. But I think if the holes aren't there, it's not going to matter as far as the talent goes. It's going to be about the Thomas Gore and Dante Wilson and John Trey Hunter in the backfield before you can make your second move. And, you know, i sorry. I just wanted to bring it back to Troy's defense because I feel like hasn't Car- Carlton Marshall just been all over the place in like every game for them the last like two, three years? He's got 400 tackles. He absolutely has like you- I, don't, I don't know what it is and like necessarily how he's been deployed but i just feel like he's just been all over the place everywhere in in a good way yeah and i mean he's like jordan said he's a former walk-on so it's kind of a similar story with tucker greg and you know guys like keon carter who have lesser roles maybe than what tucker's done but guys that kind of forced their way into minutes and snaps but just to a whole nother level because you know Cardinal marshall is pretty easily going to be first conf- first team all conference linebacker and i don't know his numbers off the top of the head what he's done but i'd imagine he's had some of those superlatives in his other years as well and been on wouldn't surprise me if he's been on every single all conference uh team in some form or facet and so just i i can imagine if he was a georgia state player we would be hyping the ever loving crap out of just how awesome his story is. And so I know that, you know, him getting back to a bowl game. I mean, that would be a really good thing for Troy. If nothing, you know, him and the seniors, I mean, you know, you want to talk about just different trajectories. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2018. Georgia state hasn't not been to a bowl game since 2018. And so it feels like Georgia state has made enough moves to where they've made those steps as a program and they've kind of taken Troy's place the last few years as team from the East who makes a bowl game. And, you know, this is a a chance for Georgia state to kind of keep that, even though Troy is heading to the Sunbelt West in all likelihood, as soon as next season, if it's not next season, it'll be 2023 when all these uh, new teams come in. Uh, So I guess that story will kind of get rewritten and it'll be about Troy's adaptation to going out to the West, but you know, Troy probably is a little bit bad at Georgia State, kind of taking their place uh, up in the hierarchy in the middle of the Sun Belt East. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the way that it goes. So it'd certainly be an interesting football game. And I guess, you know, the other thing we haven't really talked about is just that it's senior day and there's still a little bit looming in the air with Guys can still come back. I mean, the extra year of eligibility for COVID seems to be all-encompassing for anyone who is playing football in 2020. And so we don't know exactly how that shakes out, though. I think we all have some suspicions about guys that the coaching staff is going to want back just for the fact that there's not a lot of depth at some positions with seniors leaving. But, you know, the super seniors who were back this year definitely are gone. So guys like Roger Carter, Dante Wilson, you know, played their heart out for this program and last chance, the home crowd, uh, not the last game. Cause there's still going to be the bowl game, but a lot that you can say about what those guys have meant. And those guys have been a part of just the change towards winning. I mean, all those super seniors are going to set a probably unbreakable record of four bowl game appearances. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of crazy if you think about it. And, you know, we can <laughs> I suppose we can hash this out more in the off season. But if you're wanting to still see that tangible growth that this program has gone through, I mean, this is exactly, you know, one of those things in the feather. Like, it's it's not a small feather in the cap of some of these players. You know, they want to be going to bowl games four years in a row like that's. That's kind of why they play college football. Like they want to be the ones winning games to the point where it allows them to play postseason football. Like, yes, obviously they want to go play for the Sunbelt Championship. Like, duh. But, you know, this is if you're not going to be doing that, this is that next step. But like I said, we'll kind of hash that out in the offseason when yeah. it's a little bit well, slower. And it's, it's a new standard. And that's why the start was disappointing for Georgia State fans this year and for the team, obviously, that. The standard is at least going to bowl games, and Georgia State hasn't hit that next level of getting past that and challenging and getting into the Sun Belt Championship game, and that's still a step they need to take to feel like there's more progress being made. But yeah, and you know, I guess Hardrick Willis is one of those guys. I think he possibly could be back because he had the uh, he had a redshirt year, so he. I'm not really sure on that. All of these different redshirts and COVID years is throwing me a little bit, but. I'll say he has a chance, technically, I believe, to go to five bowl games if he does have a sixth year and uses it and Georgia State goes to bowl next year. Um, and he also would be the last remaining person from Coach Elliott's first class. Uh, that's If he is done this year with the rest of the Super Seniors, then that will happen this year. There will be no one left from the original class at Shamiris Gilmore as well. Um, I mean, you want to talk about someone, I don't know if Georgia State's ready to leave. I mean, Shamiris Gilmore has just quietly been outstanding left guard since Coach Elliott's been in Atlanta. And so him coming back this year was maybe a surprise, but he's continued to be the same guy that he's been basically throughout his whole time in Georgia State. And I think he's got a stranglehold on the career games record, if I believe correctly, of games played. And I don't know who's coming for that anytime soon. Uh, But another guy that has just given his all for Georgia State. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit and move on to basketball. Uh, men's basketball Panthers were winners of the Legends Classic in High Point this past weekend, beating William and Mary 77-59 on Saturday and High Point 74-66 in overtime in the championship game on Sunday. They did all this without Corey Allen, who missed both games with a facial injury he sustained near the end of the Richmond game. Kane Williams scored 20-plus points and had a double-double in each win on his way to being named MVP of the tournament. Jaheim Hudson got his first collegiate double-double in Sunday's win, nabbing 10 points and 11 rebounds. So next up for the Panthers, Rhode Island, who are 4-2 on the year after losing 67-66 at Florida Gulf Coast on Tuesday night. This is statistically a close matchup per KenPalm.com. Georgia State is currently the number 103 team in the nation, while Rhode Island is number 98. And a note on Corey Allen, Coach Lanier said he is expected back this week, barring any setbacks, once he's fitted with a mask. So, gentlemen, lots to discuss about this Panthers team and where they've been and where they're going to go next and out of conference. What you got? Yeah, I mean, I think if you drew up the blueprint for winning games with the 2021-2022 Georgia State men's basketball team, the two players you probably least want to be with without for a game would be Corey and LEL, who LEL is still out. Uh, to be determined when he returns and his loss has still been felt as we've talked about. But I think if you could say the, who are the two guys you least want to lose, it'd be those two just for the specific things that they offer. And especially the way that Corey had been stepping up as kind of that focal point 
type guy that, and especially leadership wise that coach Nero talked about, he'd been looking for, uh, and you had to do it without them. And after a game against Richmond that left you wanting for answers that had a lot of, you know, problems come up that you had to get squared up right away. And it took a little bit extra time. It took five minutes of extra time, but they got two wins. They got a comfortable one on Saturday. Uh, I think you can say it was a, success, a successful weekend, especially given the adversity. And, you know, Coach Linder talked about that they played through some adversity and got the wins anyway was a big deal for them. And so that's where I'd start is just two wins, ultimately two good wins because they were both wins. And Toby Smith's a Hall of Famer. He's got his team playing pesky. They were doing stuff defensively that I felt threw Georgia State off their game on Sunday and especially in the second half as high point made their run back from being down 10 points to tying it up again and even taking a lead momentarily. And, you know, you can't discount the, the other guy was a really good coach and had a good plan and he made you fight for it. He made you fight for 45 minutes. Yeah. I think that Sunday game was a little bit weird um, in the sense that Georgia state seemed like the better team and it kind of just in ways slipped away from them. Um, but I liked their resolve. Um, you know, I think that's important and, you know, that's probably kind of corny, but I think just the way, like you said, the way that a uh, high point played them was definitely kind of to the, the weaknesses of Georgia state and high point just wasn't executing. And then Georgia state kind of went a little bit cold in the second half, but I, I feel like I still like where the depth is for this team and the way that they are kind of molding themselves without some of their key players um, has been interesting to watch. You know, I think Justin Roberts has had been forced to take a role that, you know, uh, you, I think that you and I kind of disagreed on where where he would be in terms of the Panthers leading scorer or not. But, you know, I think he's had to be the one to step up. You know, Kane was a little bit slower in some of the earlier non-conference games. But, you know, over the weekend, I think he uh, had the uh, game high against um, was it Howard on uh, Saturday in the first William round? Mary. Sorry, William and Mary. Thank you. Um, in the first round of the tournament. So, you know, Georgia State is needing different guys to step up. And, you know, so far it's it's been it's been kind of a slow coming along, I will say. You know, I think we thought that uh Jalen Thomas would be a little bit more impactful. Um Jaheim Hudson kind of has taken that role from him in a way. He's kind of turned into 2020 Jalen Thomas. So, you know, I think Georgia State has been able to weather some of it. You know, I think I, I have loved what I've seen of Evan Johnson coming off the bench. You know, I think coach has really it's kind of like how coach Lanier uh, sorry this is coach Lanier it's kind of how coach Hunter used Nelson Phillips in like his first couple of years at Georgia State where it always seemed like when Nelson wasn't on the floor things were not working well and as soon as Nelson came back there was just a spark of energy and you know hustle that Nelson brought and I think that you know Evan Johnson's kind of doing that with his shooting right now um and his defense on Sunday three steals Really yeah. big. And he was playing like coming back behind guys and getting steals on the backside and at really opportune times. There were a few times that High Point had a chance to take leads and they did it on one occasion. But there were a couple other times where they had chances and they got empty possession just because Georgia State came up with the steal. 
you know, exactly. And I, I think it's non-conference. Like this is the time to figure out what you have and different guys. And, you know, I think coach is trying to get as much, he's trying to squeeze as much as he can get out of, you know, all of his players. So, you know, it still remains to be seen kind of what this team looks like when everybody's healthy. Um, I don't believe we have a timeline for when Elio will be back. Um, obviously we're going to get masked Corey in the coming days. So that'll be something. (laughs) Yes. Uh, that'll be something to, you know, watch as well. But I can't say outside of that Richmond game that I've been too disappointed with how the Panthers have played. Yeah, I mean, this weekend you saw Kane and Justin step up, but Kane gets the headlines because he got the MVP, scored 20 in both games. They stepped up in Corey's absence, and that was important, and both of them were attacking a lot, and sometimes the shots weren't falling, but they got to the line a ton on Sunday. They both got double digit and free throw attempts on Sunday. And, you know, they got to make more of them. Kane was 11 of 14 and Justin was 10 of 14. And, you know, that you're getting to perfectionist levels, but, you know, guards that are getting the line that much, you've got to be hitting all but one or two of them or hitting all of them. Like, that's just the level you've got to be at. Because, you know, if, if you're doing that type of game where you're going and either making layups or drawing contact, it's not a good strategy if you're not making the free throw shots. It just it's not worth your time to do that. It's not worth having the offense run that way. Uh, but you know, you talked about Jalen as well, and I think that he maybe most acutely is feeling the absence of Lel because he and Lel had a really good complimentary game going when they were both out on the court last year, and I think it helped him as they were playing together more and more. And you saw that as his final games stretch was just really really good and. I don't think he's necessarily set up to be the type of big that LEL is. And that's what Georgia state needs because that, that guy doesn't exist without LEL. And so I think he's kind of caught between trying to play his usual game and playing the other role where he's having to play as like the five, the guy. And, and, you know, he always has offered stuff defensively, but it's different than what LEL offers defensively. And it's hard to just flip it overnight on a switch. And so, I think it's possible that this time, even if it hasn't gone well for him, will work out for him as a long-term development thing. But I think he will be happy to see Elio back, and the team will benefit from having that kind of mesh again that was working so well last year. But like you say, I mean, Jaheim has stepped up, and he's playing hard, and it's getting him a lot of the good things that go with that. You know, it's cliche to talk about just give effort and good things will happen, but that's what it's been for Jaheim, and he's been efforting his way into the right position and getting whatever offensive rebounds, key defensive rebounds, blocks. He ran full court in transition at least once and got a a stopped a runaway layup from being a transition bucket. He got a block on it. And it's just the stuff you'd like to see from a freshman and the freshman stuff you're not really seeing as much or as acutely. And, you know, I would also just mention he's got a pretty good shooting stroke. He doesn't look like a big that's going to long-term struggle shooting from free throws. And uh, so that's encouraging as well because that's been something that Georgia State's had in the past where it's been a guy in the front court who gets the free throw in the line a lot but uh, doesn't hit them as much, and that's been a problem and uh, might not be with him. So I guess we'll, we'll see with that. Uh, the one thing that I did want to mention that the weekend in general made better was the three-point defense, uh, the three-point percentages. In the two games, Georgia State gave up 29%, 14 of 48. 
And so that helped those numbers, which were looking a little more scary. But there's a little bit of a trend that's been going on, even including those games, where Georgia State is 349th to 358 per Ken Palm in the ratio of three-point attempts to field goal attempts. Nearly half of the shots that opponents are taking are three-pointers. And it's kind of a ratio that Georgia State's been used to because it's kind of how Coach Hunter ran with the zones that he ran. The shots that he was looking for teams to take were bad three-pointers. But the problem for Georgia State is that they haven't necessarily been bad three-pointers this year, and there's been a lot of open ones. And some of them weren't falling this weekend, but they were still good looks. And leads me to the other stat I wanted to go to, which is that Georgia State is second to last, 357th in the assists to field goals made ratio. Almost 70% of Georgia State's made baskets they're allowed are coming off of assists. And that is not a sustainable model, especially with teams hitting threes the way they are, because if you're giving up that many baskets off assists, you know, assists don't happen where a guy dribbles around for 30 seconds, just like tosses to a guy and he throws up a shot. Assists usually come off of good action, crisp passing, and a guy is open and... That's been happening too much for Georgia State's liking. It hasn't cost them in the win column except in that Richmond game, but it's certainly a trend line that I'm watching. They've got to get that number way down. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, as you said, uh, they, you know, the defense definitely got better over the weekend, but, um, you know, I think the way that Georgia State has played, you know, that watching how teams attack the three ball is definitely going to be something that they you know, you're going to want to see Georgia State continue to get better at and continue to defend the perimeter. Um, I've liked what I've seen out of Nelson, um, but I also know that as great as Nelson is, he can't guard all five players at once. Um, it's going to have to come from other guys just being active. And, you know, I think Georgia State has been really susceptible to rotations. You know, guys just kind of hit make that extra pass and you know georgia state just hasn't been there to be able to defend it so um definitely uh something that georgia state's gonna need to be better at is just finding ways to make sure that that extra pass you know doesn't get made or just be a little bit better in you know getting in those passing lanes getting better but it's a careful balance they gotta hit because there's also times I think that they're getting caught cheating and trying to make that steal, getting caught out of position because of that. And the, the extra pass is just you make the pass to the guy who was just covered by a guy who tried to get a steal and didn't. So, you know, there's a balance to be had. And I know that Coach Lanier has talked about that, just the desire for guys to maybe lock down a little bit more in the half-court defense rather than just looking for that steal because a lot of these guys, like Nelson, know that they're – on-ball defense is good and that they can make good reads and they can get those steals, but it can go wrong if you're overplaying like that. So certainly just, I feel like that's the biggest focal point for me, just ironing out stuff on the defensive end. And I think that that is achievable without LEL being there and that him coming back can just be on top of the growth that this roster without him makes. Uh, and then, you know, looking at this game with Rhode Island, Jordan laid it out pretty statistically even teams. I think that a goal here would be be Richmond Mark II, where it's a competitive game with a team that you're on an even or close to even footing with. And yeah, I think that a win is obviously the goal that you want. But after the Richmond game, I think at least it being a game will be step one and not getting shot out of the gym. 
Yeah, go shoot somebody else out of the gym. Um, I think the thing that I want to see is consistent offense. Um, and now I don't want to sit here and say that they need to score every single trip down the floor because this that's impractical. Um, but I think in even some of the wins that Georgia State has had, you've kind of seen them kind of get, settle into an offensive lull. Um, guys aren't necessarily moving the ball well or just, you know, there's no there's no real fight with them. Um, and so that's one thing that I want to see kind of change with this game specifically. I know it's on the road. I know, you know, Rhode Island is a pretty good team as well. But, you know, this is a team that wants in Georgia State that wants to score 80 points a game. You know, you know, coach jokes and says that he wants to put up 80 shots a game. But, you know, obviously they're looking to keep keeping that high pace, you know, high octane offense range. And, you know, I think the last couple of games, you kind of haven't seen that level of just production with Georgia State. Um, you know, some of the guys have been in foul trouble. You know, there's been injuries. So I don't want to sit here and say that it doesn't make sense. But you definitely want to see Georgia State just come out and play their brand of offensive basketball and, you know, and, you know, find a way to get that get that point total up really high. It worked out well because I was going to talk about defense again. So glad you touched on the offensive side. You know, I talked about the three point shooting and the assists and Rhode Island does get a lot of baskets off of assists. You know, they're about a little over 55% on that. So they're going to be looking to pass the ball around and get that extra pass. And they're a good three-point shooting team. They're about 38% on the year. But they don't shoot a ton of them. They shoot just under 30%, 29.9%, which is in the bottom half. And so I'm interested to see if their plan is to see what other teams have had with success with and go maybe more three-point shooting or if they're just going to do what they usually do and keep it at a lower lower tilt. And you know this, I guess, ties into the offense and the defensive side is that it's going to be a battle of tempos because Georgia State's up to 82nd in the adjusted tempo. And that's what we've seen them do under Coach Nier is try and push the tempo. Rhode Island, a lot slower, 247 in the nation in adjusted tempo. They're going to want to have it go the other way. And so... In the first half against High Point, I thought Georgia State really started to get down in transition, and it got them some easy baskets just because High Point couldn't keep up with them in transition, and Kane and Justin were just rolling to the rim. In the second half, when things started getting into one of those lulls David was talking about, it was more of a half-court game, and Georgia State can win in those type of games, but it's not the style they want to play in, and so if Rhode Island is establishing what they want at their defensive end, it's it might... It, that's what got them out of sync against Richmond is that Richmond was just manning up in defense and making them play half court sets and it wasn't working against them. And Richmond had stuff working at the other end and took a pretty comfortable lead. And so, you know, you had this game kind of play out the way that Richmond, you know, that Rhode Island might try and have a similar game to what Richmond did. And so you're going to have a second chance at it. And so make something different happen this time and get a win. So last but not least, this episode, we have a question from Mike from Marietta, who wants to know, what is the best Thanksgiving Day side to go with your turkey? So I'll go ahead and start this off. Uh, Taylor, not able to record tonight, doing this annoying thing called work. But uh, Taylor says, stuffing his his answer, I'm going to go with that mac and cheese, but it's got to be good mac and cheese. It can't cannot be, cannot be trash, but that's a completely different discussion that we don't have time for here. I will dominate this podcast with that but uh gentlemen what are your opinions about thanksgiving sites 
It's not Thanksgiving without mashed potatoes. And now, okay, I know that there are some people out there who are going to hate me for not picking another side. I know stuffing is loved and delicious to some. I know mac and cheese is delicious to some. To me, my favorite, like, meat on Thanksgiving was ham. My mom and both my dad, honestly, both of my parents cooked. Shout out Mark and Audrey. Um, they always made a delicious ham, whether it be honey baked or some other sort of holiday ham. And the times where we didn't have mac and not mac and cheese, the times we didn't have mashed potatoes, it always felt like something was missing. So, you know, whether it has gravy, no gravy, I don't even care. Honestly, I just, I'm so passionate about having mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, mashed potatoes is partly mine. I, you know, I, I, the mac and cheese thing I did, Taylor had mentioned this to us. And so I'll, I'll add this take in for his sake is that he had mac and cheese, maybe a tier below just for the sake that it isn't necessarily one of those inherent, like Thanksgiving sides. It just is a side that goes with everything every season. And so I could agree with that as so, you know, if it's a good mac and cheese, I'll have it. But I think mashed potatoes feel a little bit more Thanksgiving. -y. But the other one I got to shout out is that my mom makes the best yeast rolls and I know that anything with carbs and that just straight carbs is the, the worst strategy for eating the most on Thanksgiving, but you haven't had these cheese rules. They're incredible, and it is almost like another side that you, <laughs> you need to have. And I feel like I try and when I was living with some of the people on this pod or with David and some of the people maybe listening to this pod, I tried to share them as much as I could. But, you know, even them in like a Ziploc a couple days after isn't the same as like them fresh and so I also got to shout out those yeast rolls for sure. Definitely flying down just to come get these yeast rolls. Like that sounds, you you had me at yeast rolls. Like I'd say less, I'm booking the next flight. And I don't know, I guess we have a little bit of time. We can do the whole turkey thing. I, so I'm not like, I'm kind of a boring eater. And I guess I'm fine with turkey. And I think turkey as like the representative for Thanksgiving is fine. But, you know, I, I understand David's point of view that like ham's good, too. And I can see why people could gravitate towards ham as their choice for Thanksgiving. And I guess some of the sides, I'm just not that much of a sweet potato person. And I like like a green bean casserole, but like I don't really like mushrooms and recipes that have them. I don't really want the mushrooms and I don't know, does anyone eat yams? Is that a thing? I don't really like yams. And so I feel like my sides on Thanksgiving are already cut down because I'm just picky and I'm the worst. Well, at least you're honest, you know. Um, I like I have nothing against turkey, truthfully. I feel like every year I give the same spiel because I've had good turkey. Um, I just feel like turkey is very stressful for a lot of people. Um, and like there are other meats like you I, I don't know my family is jamaican so you know depending on where we go and who like is around us or if we're even in the states or not for holidays like we don't have turkey like we have you know jerk chicken or we have like other different meats um that include ham or you know stew goat or something like that so I, I just feel like turkey can be very overplayed and I want I want us to be released from the shackles of the holiday turkey because there are other things that are easier and incredibly less stressful for us to make. David, let me uh, let me introduce you to the smoked turkey or deep fried turkey. 
Okay, definitely don't deep fry it. Well, unless you know what you're doing, but I've had smoked turkey. It's very good. You like turkey? There is a there is a, a bit of like how much you're doing to make this turkey be flavorful with deep frying it with smoking it. It's like you, you can there's definitely other meats you can do less work to get the same or more utility out of. So I do understand that argument from the the other side as well. Yeah, like turkey is definitely like at best a mid-tier meat, but I we've been shoehorned into just eating it every year. So like, all right, we're, we have to have turkey or the old people will get mad. So fry it or smoke it or whatever. It's it's fine. But I guess kind of like extending off of this, what's the worst Thanksgiving side in your opinion? I mean, I just kind of gave mine like just to collectively the ones I don't really like having. Yeah, um, sweet potato casserole or like green bean casserole. I'm good. All when right. I was like really young, I would try and like make the sweet potato thing work with just eating the marshmallows off the top. But after a while, it was just not worth the effort of scooping accurately. Also, I realized it was really juvenile when I was not a juvenile. <laughs> and so I moved on from that. Well, my mom makes just, really good sweet potato casserole, but I'm with you on the green bean casserole. No, it just... If if you make it and you think it's good and you're happy about it, I'm happy for you. But don't don't involve me with this. I I, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, I'm so I'm so good. I, I, it's just I don't know. To each their own, obviously. But those are I just feel like those things are just kind of tradition, and you know people have them for that instead of actually trying to make them you know something good. But that's just my opinion on it. I don't want to open the floodgates even more, but where are we doing for dessert? Apple pie, of course. I'm, I'm in there on the apple pie. Miss Ooh, me, we're miss all in me agreement with pumpkin. There. I, I want nothing to do with pumpkin. I'm sorry. I know we're going to get flamed. Apple pie or something yeah. that's just... My just, no. picky eater thing also applies to pumpkin, sweet potato, whatever. I'm just not... I'm not too... Uh, I'm just not in on that genre of pie. Pecan, I'm, it's grown on me over the years, but I'm still not... Like, if I get a choice, I'm still going to go with apple. Get a nice scoop of ice cream on there. Or some whipped cream. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like apple pie has not necessarily always been a staple for my Thanksgivings, and more sweet potato or pumpkin has been. But I feel like I'm always down to have an apple pie after everything that I would eat on Thanksgiving. Like, maybe I just love apple pie. I mean, that's... You know, it's me, it's but the most American thing. Exactly. Like, the, I don't know why it wouldn't be, but I, I can't remember. Like, I feel like cherry pie or uh, pecan pie is more Thanksgiving than yeah. apple pie. Well, I think it's sometimes, especially if you're at a place, you know, at a gathering where there's a lot of people and, you know, there's going to be some non pumpkiners. It apple feels like the safest bet that people get to be like, oh, if you don't want this, then you can have the apple pie. And so I feel like that's probably where it comes from. And I am that person, so I appreciate that. You know, anytime you get the alternative from, like you say, I mean, aside from just taste and I, just seasonality of it, like, I, I don't want to see pumpkin pie just because of the tradition of it. Like, come on now. Have free spirit, free will. Exactly. Well, that's what tradition is. It's just peer pressure from dead people. So, like, forget it. Just eat what you want to eat. It's not that big of a deal. All right, so thank you very much, Mike, for that fantastic Thanksgiving-themed question. So right before we get you out of here this week, of course, we have a little bit of sports bits. First off, before we get to upcoming games, we did want to recognize Georgia State men's soccer with the monumental program achievement of their first NCAA tournament win 
defeating Charlotte 1-0 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And the Panthers went on to face number three seed Georgetown in the round of 32, uh, falling to Georgetown in that game, but still a fantastic season and a fantastic result for the men's soccer team head coach Brent Cernsey and all of them. Hats off to you guys. Congratulations and looking forward to a lot of great stuff coming in the future. But let's go ahead and move on to upcoming events in Georgia State Athletics this week. It's going to be a light week, of course, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but there's still some stuff happening on Saturday. Got women's basketball at Chattanooga at 1.30 p.m. Of course, football versus Troy in the regular season finale at Center Park Stadium, 2 p.m. ESPN Plus and WRIS FM 88.5. And then men's basketball later on in the day at Rhode Island. At 4 p.m., that game also on ESPN+. And that's the last we're going to have Georgia State Sports before we hit you with the next episode of the podcast. So hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving, Panther family. We're very thankful for you, our listeners and our supporters, and everything you do to make covering Georgia State and doing this podcast so much fun. We appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic holiday with your loved ones and whatever that entails for you. But that's it for me on this episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Gentlemen, you have anything else you want to say? Happy Turkey Day. Good. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, you know, we appreciate the support. All right. That's going to do it for us here at the Thursday Night Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving again, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye-bye. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.